Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan, and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. And every single one of these conversations I learned a great deal and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal too. So uh, hang on tight and thanks for listening to The Generators. everybody did you miss me be honest did you were you going where'd he go what i was just getting into this thing and he disappeared like my bike that i left outside the school once when i was in grade four that quickly just gone don't even no trace no idea what's happening i owe you an apology you the listener i uh have joined uh, the crew here at 22 Minutes, and uh, last week, just a, 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 a salad of, of, uh, of newness, and uh, with that came some uh, logistical challenges, we shall say, and therefore, um, uh, uh, doing the podcast became uh, impossible, to be quite honest. Um, first things first, welcome to uh, The Generators with Trent McClellan. And uh, we're, uh, this is episode 17, and uh, that whole preamble was, of course, because uh, there wasn't a podcast last week, which is the first time in, um, since I started that I didn't have one, but here's why. Uh, this week's guest is uh, the incredible uh, Tara Sloan, and, uh, but I had some issues with the, uh, the memory card there, and it wasn't reading, and it wouldn't upload, and there was just... It was uh, frustration, beyond frustration, and I'm not a tech guy, and I don't uh, claim to be, and this was further proof that I am not. So there was that situation, coupled with that, uh, I flew to Vancouver on Monday, then we uh, were in Calgary on Tuesday, and then, uh, sorry, Calgary on Wednesday, Edmonton on Thursday, and then we flew back to Halifax on Friday and arrived back here late Friday night, um, doing some segments for 22 minutes, so... My schedule was just, um, it was ridiculous and not a lot of sleep and uh, early rises, 4.15 a.m., different craziness. So there really wasn't any time to try and solve this problem, to be honest. So now uh, that I have rectified it, I now get to share this episode uh, with you. Uh, Tara, Tara Sloan, sorry. Uh, I first met when she was with Breakfast Television in Calgary, where, uh, of course, I lived for a number of years. And so... Uh, I think I was opening for Rob Schneider, I do believe, and uh, she was at the show, and we just kind of met briefly, and um, what I really like about Tara's uh, story is that she's kind of, you know, um, transitioned into a bunch of different things. She was, of course, uh, the lead singer of the band Joy Drop, which were fantastic, and so we get into that a little bit about her, her training in music and her time in the band, and, you know, some real honesty and sincerity about what it's like to be a band um traveling around and performing and what that situation is like what the financial situation of that is like and also what it's like to be the female lead of a band and the challenges that go along with that and uh that further we get into some stuff about just being being a woman in entertainment 
and uh, some of those insane obstacles that you can't really even believe still exist, uh, but unfortunately they do. And uh, and uh, and then of course she transitioned into uh, you know going on television. She was um, uh, on a reality show as a contestant for a little bit with the trying to be the new lead singer of In Excess and uh touch on that briefly and of course her time on breakfast television in calgary and and how um as much as she enjoyed it that there are also challenges with that so and then of course her transition into hometown hockey with uh, cbc so you know what i love about talking to people and learning about their stories is quite often you know obviously you love to hear about the success that people have had but quite often it's it's the transitions in their life and the times when things happen that were unexpected and how they were able to kind of get through that stuff. I think that's the stuff I really enjoy hearing about and stuff that I can really uh, apply to my own life going forward. And I think, uh, I think listeners can also do the same. You know, you, you, you often don't see the story that goes on behind the scenes and, and the road that someone has had to get to where they are, especially in entertainment. It's kind of like you don't know someone exists and then bam, one day they're on your television screen or you find them on the internet and you're like, oh, this person exists. But with that, quite often comes no backstory as to where they began, um, how the road turned for them so many different times and the valleys that they had to kind of go through. And uh, that's why I like uh, really enjoyed this conversation with Tara because uh, she was kind of she was very very sincere and honest and forthcoming with all of it and and I think there's a lot to pull for that uh, pull from that for people so I really enjoyed it um, and uh, yeah what's going on with me other than that we uh, deep into the stuff at 22 minutes uh, it's a crazy pace and schedule so I'm still adjusting to that quite frankly and. Uh, it's amazing because I've been there two weeks, but every week has been different. One week in studio and house doing some things, writing and uh, jumping in a few sketches. And then the next week, you're just on the road doing road segments, so you're not really in the studio at all. And then this week, of course, we um, we uh, we tape tonight, Monday, and um, we, uh, we do our thing, and then it airs on Tuesday. So this will be more of a normal week to kind of be in-house, I think, for the most part. But things can change quickly, and then you get an email or a phone call and it's like, Hey man, you could be going to wherever. Like that's just the way the show uh, works and operates. So you, you kind of are always a little bit on the, on the edge of your seat and flying by the seat of your pants, but you do adapt to it over time. And so I'm, uh, I'm excited to kind of excited to get going. What's this? Some kind of sports update. What has been going on here? Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's still an adjustment, but feeling more at home and more comfortable every day. And everyone has been, fantastic and very very supportive and helpful so i'm uh i'm yeah feeling very fortunate and glad to uh to to be a part of this thing so without further ado um here is my conversation with tara sloan and uh thanks so much for listening to the uh, generators guys all right enjoy this one shining down good luck baby got them open all over town Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much ground, got game by the town. Getting paid is a forte each and every day to play away. I can't get oh, around my it's all working. I'm the least tech savvy person in the world that there is. So I'm always amazed when I press a button and it works. Um, today, <laughs> uh, my uh, guest, all the way from Toronto, correct? You're in Toronto right now? 
Yeah, yeah, in Toronto right now. For okay. now. Yeah, for now. <laughs> so uh, my guest today is Tara Sloan. Tara, how are you? I'm good. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. You seem like maybe the busiest person in the in Canadian <laughs> entertainment right now. I'm saying the busiest person in Canadian entertainment. Would that be fair to say? Is that would you accept uh, that title? No, I think there are others who would probably take exception to that, but <laughs> it definitely feels like um, it's a busy time. I'm coming off a really nice and relaxed summer, but the nature of my work is uh, it starts to gear up right about now, and then it just is relentless for you know six, a six month period. I hear you. Yeah, it's kind of uh, put your hard hat on and then get back to work. What did you do this summer? Did you do? Did you go anywhere cool? I did actually, you know, I, um, I have an eight year old daughter and I'm away so much that I just made a concerted effort to just say no to everything but being with her. And so she and I, we went on a family trip to Maryland for a wedding. We, uh, spent about eight days in Halifax, which is nice. my hometown. So nice. visiting my, my dad, um, we went out to Seattle for 10 days and then we were at a cottage and then in between we were just hanging out in Toronto. So it was like a real summer, summer. Sweet. It's funny. You mentioned that too, about trying to take advantage of the downtime. Cause I had uh, Cassie Campbell Pascal was also uh, a guest on the podcast a few weeks back. And she mentioned the same thing about like, you really have to be wary of, uh, of time management on your downtime, especially when you're a parent, I would imagine, because your yeah. job, obviously, with, with hometown hockey is going to pull you all over the country. So it's like trying to pre-schedule, like, hey, what is this downtime going to look like and how do you make the most of it? Do you find yourself in like in that mindset all the time now? Well, you know, I think I'm learning. Even last summer, I, I said yes to some things that in retrospect I think I probably shouldn't have, have said yes to. And, and you just realize how quickly your time gets eaten up. And I think in particular when you have – a young child who's really impacted by the my travel schedule that it's just it's not fair to her. Yeah. So that, you know, when I'm when I have that time off, I, I really owe it to her to, to actually just be be there with her. Yeah, I hear you. It's so weird though too, right? Like I, I feel like uh anyone who's involved in entertainment, the ability to say no is almost like taboo because when you first start out, especially for you starting out as a musician and myself as a comedian, like you just get hardwired to go like, yes, 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 I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. And it's really hard to turn that off and go, okay, hold on a second. Maybe that isn't the best thing for me to do with my time. And also that balance of trying to find like, just to be happy in general. Like sometimes you can just work yourself into the ground and you're right. You wake up with no time left at all for family and friends and all those things. But I think it's almost hardwired into entertainers to just go next, next, mm -hmm. next. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, th I, I mean, I remember going through this when I was in the band joy drop a million years ago and, and we literally didn't say no to anything. And it really, it took its toll on us, I think. Um, and we sort of learned our lesson the hard way that, that we had to take care of the individuals if we wanted the whole to, to work. Um, but still, I think, you know, you operate a little bit out of fear in this kind of business. You're always worried about, you know, what the next gig is. And so you're, I, I know that I kind of I'm like, well, if I don't take this then maybe they won't ask the next time or, you know, just, yep. but at a certain point you just have to, you have to prioritize. So I'm learning. It's, I, I don't. I don't think I'm great at it, but but this summer I think I, I did a good job. Yeah, I hear you. It's. Uh, I was talking to Alan Doyle too about the exact same thing. Like. 
because you, you forget too that like you were entrepreneurs in a way, right? Like you're trying to build your own kind of business through through entertainment. And so with that sometimes comes a real difficulty to actually enjoy where you are in the moment because you are so focused on the next thing, the next gig. And you would have known this, you know, especially when you were when you're in the band and doing your solo stuff, like it's the next gig, it's the next gig. There's very little time to sit and kind of revel in, wow, that was awesome. And let's just, you know, soak in, <laughs> soak in this moment. It's almost like, like that would have been death. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's hard to wash that off to just go, no, you can actually sit, enjoy your coffee, relax and breathe and take in this moment and not worry about tomorrow night or next week or whatever. But mm-hmm. I found myself the same thing. It's hard to kind of sit in that moment and just breathe and take it in. Yeah, I wish, especially in the, the joy drop days, I wish I'd sort of, um, you know, taken some of our successes in a little bit more. You know, I feel like these things happened and I was just kind of along for the ride, but I didn't really go like, hey, wow, that's neat. Hey, we got nominated for Juno. Like, that's cool. Right. You know, it was always, it was always looking for the next success. Okay, well, we got this record. It's top five, but it's got to be top, you know, it's got to be top three. It's got to be number one. And like nothing's ever quite enough. So um, I think, you know, at this point, maybe it's just, it's a little bit of age too. And you get just maybe, I don't know. I feel like I'm at a certain point, I'm too tired. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, I'm certainly, I'm still ambitious, but, but the priorities definitely shift a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right, too. I remember first when I first started doing stand-up, I'd like get to a town, and rather than going around and checking out the city or town, I'm like, i got to stay in my room. i got to focus on my act. I'm going to go over my material. It's like, man, I'm in like in Victoria, B.C., like one of the prettiest places in the world, and people, and I'd leave, and people go, well, what do you think of Victoria? I'm like, well, the hotel is nice, and uh, the airport is cool. <laughs> like, I didn't, I wouldn't, see, right. I wouldn't see shit, and I was like, i got to really rewire my mind and start the... I'm going to some of the most beautiful places in North America and not actually taking it in. So I felt like I had to go, okay, like the show is at eight o'clock. You're flying in at 10 a.m. For God's sakes, go out, walk around, <laughs> enjoy the place. <laughs> but I, it was, uh, I look back at it now, you're right. I, I wasted so much time just fretting about the next thing or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. Age lets you, uh, look, man, just stop a little bit and, and relax. And actually the show has ended up being better as a result of actually, you know, going out and just living life like a normal human being. <laughs> Well, you have some reference point. I mean, I think, you know, I'm sure it's the same when you're when you're on the road doing comedy where it actually helps having some local references, right? Like yeah. you can make illusions that you can't do if you're just holed up in your hotel room. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I do struggle with that. I am, I'm a bit of a, an over-preparer. <clears throat> so that's something I've really had to work with and continue to kind of figure out what what the balance is on, on hometown hockey where like I'm just cramming 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 information and at what point is it better to just kind of let experiences in <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly just let it uh, absorb and then of course you got the pressure of McLean right I mean yeah this guy seriously. is there a more sharp and intelligent guy you're like I got to stand up next to this guy every night <laughs> are you serious right now are you kidding me uh we have uh we go back a little ways we were on Canada Reads together and uh I remember oh, cool. yeah I remember Ron <clears throat> Ron gives his opening statement and I literally in my head I was like oh Christ like it was, just, it was just the most well thought out and prepared thing. I was like, 
I have no shot of winning this. Like, what was I? Why did I accept this? Why did I accept this gig? Like, I instantly went to this insecure place in my soul. But uh, such a nice guy, and but just super intelligent. So, uh, did you feel any intimidation at all when you lined up? Like, okay, you're gonna go shoulder to shoulder with McLean every day, and uh, here we go. How was how was that partnership worked out? Um, for sure. I mean, he. <clears throat> He already knows so much about all of these places that we're going. Right. <laughs> he knows all the stories. He kind of, you know, he's got the background and and he retains the information and has this uncanny ability to recount it, you know, perfectly. Insane. Um, insane yeah. But yeah, it is insane. So, I, I mean, I definitely look at him sort of with my mouth agape still. <laughs> um, maybe I'm less, like, I, you know, I think you just have to realize I'm just not, I'm not him and that's that's his strength. It's not, it's not my strength. Um, you know, I think he challenges all of us who work on that show to leave no stone unturned when it comes to digging through the hockey history. And I, I think that's really important. Um, but you know, I think maybe my role, well, first of all, I sort of, you know, I'm the sort of on the ground person. So Ron can't come to any of these cities or towns until Sunday because he's got a host hockey night in Canada. Right. So for for me, you know, I'm on the ground. I'm kind of, I'm getting the, you know, the personal experiences throughout the course of a weekend. So that's, you know, that's my job. And so it's different than his. And I think, you know, with sometimes, um, I think we balance each other r- really well. You know, I think yeah. like sometimes he can spin his yarns and maybe I, maybe I can bring him back down to earth a little bit sometimes. Too. <laughs> yeah. I think it works well as a tandem for sure on camera. It really, uh, it really does play well. It's such a cool concept for a show. Like when I think about all these little towns across Canada and the people in these towns, like it's a big deal when hockey night in Canada comes through. Like I think you guys might've been in Cranbrook last year, the year before. And I think I was in town doing shows at the same mm-hmm. time. And I'm like, you know, you could see it all over town. Like it was like people are genuinely, you know, ge- genuinely excited that, you know, because it's such an institution, Hockey Night in Canada, to kind of and to be in your town is like, man, this is what mm-hmm. people people grew up with. So you must feel that the minute you you kind of enter the place, do, do you get that vibe straight away? We do, especially now. I, I mean, it's it's been nice to be part of the growth of the show, and um, you know, I think year one none of us really knew what it was like the Rogers landed the NHL deal. They made a bunch of changes, some of which were not so popular. Um, and, but you know, the cool thing is that they had this idea for something called hometown hockey. And, and I think they had a loose idea of what it would be. Um, so it's really evolved. I mean, it's, and now, you know, we're at the point where I think communities really, they welcome us with open arms. They, they know that, um, I think that we can do a good job of telling the rest of the country their story. And I think they trust us with that. And it's just, I, I feel it, you know, people, people watch the show and, you know, people even, we have a really regular and loyal audience for our pregame show, um, which is nice because sometimes you think, well, would people in Nanaimo really care about what's going on in the hockey world in Cornerbrook? But they do, and I, I think that's it's just been really nice to kind of be along this, this journey and the growth. 
Thanks for giving my hometown a shout out. I really appreciate that. Uh, I told, You're welcome. I told, that was unintentional. I told her I would give her an email money transfer uh, as soon as the podcast <laughs> ends. To uh, if you could just put Cornerbrook in there, that'd be fantastic. I think it's uh, Hockeyville's going there this year, aren't they? Isn't it going to be uh, the uh, yeah? It's a hockey day in Canada. Hockey day in Canada. There. Yeah, it's going to be there. It's going to be crazy. I I grew up yeah. watching the Cornerbrook Royals play when I was a kid, and I remember. When they were going to like Allen Cup finals, they would let us out of school early to go get tickets. Like it was insane. Like old school tickets, you know what I mean? Where you had to like yeah. go line up. There was no <laughs> internet. It's like get off your ass, go out, freeze your ass off, and stand outside a box office and hope to God you get a ticket at the end of it. Like, and I see, I love that because that's like it's like senior hockey is so huge in Newfoundland and and not as much necessarily in other parts of the country. So I love that we can tell those stories you know i think it's there's just there's so much to talk about yeah there's no doubt about it it's it's they've all got really really rich histories uh for sure and and it means so much to the community like it, it really does you talk about things that bring communities together and like hockey rinks are like the perfect example of that whether it's for a hockey game whether it's for these community dinners that you you know you see in all these little towns and stuff it's like the rink is like the focal point quite often yeah. the smaller the town the more of a, more of a focal point it is actually yeah absolutely they're um they're the gathering spots you know they in big communities in the nhl cathedrals but especially in, in smaller communities it's just it's the gathering spot no doubt about it now i was doing some research and let me tell you something i never do research uh i stopped <laughs> doing that back in university and i was like you know i'm a comedian what am i doing research and stuff but it turns out somewhat helpful um, I, uh, I was doing some research and I watched a, an interview last night, actually, of you talking about, um, you were talking about your dad and his influence, uh, on you musically and how, you know, music mm-hmm. was part of your childhood and stuff. Um, and I always think I said this to Alan Doyle too, is like, I think it's so cool for musicians. I, I, first of all, confession, many comedians wish they were musicians. They secretly yeah. wish they could travel <laughs> around with a bunch of other band members and just, you know, create music and have a good time. And then you have a shared experience. But of course, ours is a solitary profession that we travel around and uh, eat meals alone and uh, sit in our hotel waiting mm-hmm. for our show at 8 p.m. in Victoria. But anyway, um, so yeah, we, we do secretly wish we were musicians. And I know a lot of musicians who kind of secretly wish they were they were comedians at the same time. So it's uh so when you know music was a big part of your household obviously but when yeah yeah when did you realize like hey this is a thing i'm gonna do this is something that is not just hey it's a part of my you know daily experience you know with your dad and in your household but yeah this is something i'm gonna go after well i had my sights set on a music career when i was in high school but i i was studying classical voice so that's what i thought i was gonna do right um I always loved pop and rock and folk music. And I, my part-time job throughout high school was I actually worked at Sam the Record Man. Right. Um, and so anybody who grew up in Halifax knows that it used to be on Barrington Street, and it was three floors. And I worked on the classical floor, and then I worked on the main floor at the cash. And so, I mean, music was always a huge part of my life. But my track, I thought, was, was going to be opera. Okay. And... So I actually started my first year at Dalhousie University studying vocal performance. And it was, <clears throat> excuse me, at that point I realized that I just did not have the discipline to pull it off. Right. I just, you know, I think it's like I, in high school, you know, it was a relatively small pool of people who took voice that seriously. So 
I was good and I didn't really have to practice very much to still be good and stand out. So, but when you get to university and there are a bunch of people who are buying that as a career, they're all working very hard. And I, you know, I just turned 18. My friends were going to frosh week parties and, and I just, I, you know, I, I blew it. I blew it. And so I kind of flunked out of Dalhousie um, and then I took some time off. I moved to Montreal and worked found the record man there. I eventually went back to school. I went to Concordia to study drama, to study theater. Okay. But I, I joined my first rock band when I moved to Montreal. And so that was sort of when I realized, oh, well, maybe I can sing other styles of music than just classical. Um, but, you know, even when I joined Joy Drop, and that, that happened when I moved to Toronto in 1996. Right. That was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I think, like, I I was still pretty young, and I I didn't really know what it took to embark on a rock and roll career. So I feel like I got, I did get taken along for the ride at the beginning, because I guess I just, I had never really done anything other than playing for ear or cover charge, you know? Yeah, I and the guy, you. the guys in my band had a lot more experience than I did, and and so they're like, no, no, we we have a manager, we are going to make a demo, and we're going to send it out to record labels, and then, so it really wasn't until I was in the midst of all that that I was like, oh, I guess we might be able to really do this. This is a real thing, yeah. That's going to go down. I think it's always amazing to me too. People who are in entertainment in general, specifically musicians, comedians, uh, just how much work is involved. Like you think. You quite often oh, yeah. think talent is enough and you just show up and you do the gig. And I've always said to musicians, friends of mine, like, I'm a comedian. I show up. There's a microphone. I do this stuff. I leave. Whereas, like, for a band, it's like you got to load all this stuff in. There's a sound check. There's stuff that could break. Like, <laughs> I'm amazed. Like, for any band that can actually make it to some level of success, like, my, my hat is off to you because mm -hmm. it, 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 there's so many ways for it to – like, I've often said this about the Arcade Fire. Like – when the Arcade Fire started out, there was like 72 people in the band, right? So when they show, <laughs> when they show up to a gig, when they first started, like the, the, the venue was like, yeah, we pay 200 bucks. Like they're not like, oh, no, no, you all get 200 bucks. It's like, no, no, we right. pay a band 200 bucks, divide that up amongst the 72 of you, and off you go to Pizza Corner. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that must have been <laughs> like, but to stick through all that stuff and all the gear and like, to me, as a comedian, I just can't even fathom what that, that was like. Like, do you remember those early days of, like, okay, here we go. We're starting this thing. Mm -hmm. um, like, what, what are some of your memories of when you go back to those early days? Well, first I'll say that I, I mean, I think, you know, I, as musicians can at least hone their craft and sort of sharpen everything through rehearsal, which is what we did. We, we rehearsed pretty relentlessly. We just, you know, like, every day we took it was like it was a job to us to rehearse and, and get to the point where we were a killer live band. But for you, like you're rehearsing new material. I mean, obviously I guess you recite it to yourself, but it's not really, you can't really tell what sticks unless you have an audience. So that's much more brave to me. Yeah. That I whole, think. <laughs> that's right. Like we, we have to go out like the audience is our amplifier. So like, that's how we know yeah. what's coming back to us is if they make a sound that we like, we're like, okay, that this, I'm hitting the right chord here. But otherwise, yeah, you're right. Our creative process is done in front of a, a live Oof. audience, which is, uh, Oh, it's a good time. It's always, that's, <laughs> that sounds just terrifying to me. So hats off, 
hats off. Like I, I really, I have a lot of respect for you. You know, standing up there alone on stage, and that's it. You yeah. don't have, you can't stand behind, you know, like a guitar or a set of drums. So, <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, basically, our process was that we just we we wanted to be the best. You know, we knew we got our songs to a point where we knew that they were really good and. We rehearsed like crazy, and we just we we took it very seriously. And I never would have done that, I don't think, were it not for the professionalism of the rest of the guys in in the band. Yeah, I hear you. Like I just I don't think I could have gotten us to to that point. Um, and we, you know, we played we played small gigs. You know, I think really towards the end of our career, we kind of got to the point where we had pretty decent showings everywhere, but. Um, for years, for you know, the first two, three years, when you're you're touring around in a van, touring the states in a van, you can play. You know, your your song can be on the radio in one place, and so you could be playing to a few hundred people, which you know at that time was like pretty decent, or a festival where people might be singing along, and then you can go to your next gig, and it's ten people. Right. Like you just, it's you never know, no. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so. You just kind of treat every gig as important. And I mean, one thing I, I learned during that process is you, you never know who's going to be there. You know, if if you think you're playing for bar staff, you still never know. Like we, we did a gig in I think it was Louisville, Kentucky, and it was, it was like five people there. But like two out of the five people there were from a band called They Might Be Giants. Right. They, they were kind of like a sort of. I don't know, preeminent sort of quirky comedy rock band, like almost like Bare Naked Ladies, but from the States. Right. And really big. And so, you know, they came up to us after the show, introduced themselves, and the next thing we knew, we were opening for them in Atlanta in front of 30,000 people. Insane. Insane. You never know. Yeah, insane. And here's the thing, too. I'm glad you brought that up because I believe that. I do believe even for comedians, it's like, you might have a night where someone is in the audience and you're not aware and, and things can change quickly. But also getting back to what we talked about earlier about always saying yes to things like uh, I don't know how it works in the music industry, but as a comedian, when you first start, especially it's like this exposure carrot is, is tossed in front of you all the time. Like, yeah, there's no pay, but, you know, uh, it's great exposure and you uh, you're going <laughs> to go down and do this gig. And and again, you're hardwired to just go, yes, yes, yes. And do these gigs. But then you get to a point where you're like, wait now someone's making money off this and it ain't me. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like I find that trying to find that balance between, um, putting yourself out there and what you create out there. And also that business side of like, okay, hold on a second. Like, do you, do you recall those discussions within the band or even for you as a solo artist where you're like, okay, what is, what is worth my time? You know, that's what it comes down to ultimately. Is this, is this thing worth my time? And, and what do I get out of it in some capacity, whether it's just feeling good for performing or is Mm -hmm. it like, well, it's a great payday or you know what? So-and-so might be there. Like I found juggling all those balls can be exhausting. I don't know if you can relate to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the somebody's making money here and it ain't me. I find, yeah, that's. I mean, it, you know, as a musician, we we had good representation, but we never made a lot of money um, playing live. You know, we had some good paydays, but most of the time, I mean, it might surprise people to learn that you know we could be doing an across Canada tour with a hit song opening for another big band and we're probably making like a thousand bucks a night which if you're on the road with a tour bus 
and a crew um, is barely paying your gas. Yeah, not a lot. You know, so it's like we never made money playing live, unfortunately. We just didn't reach that point where we could ask enough. Um, we did, though, like back to the saying no thing. I remember when we kind of reached that point where we had just done so much and exhausted ourselves. I remember having a conversation with the band before the turn of the millennium. Like we knew that New Year's Eve, you know, for the year 2000 was going to be crazy and we were going to get a lot of asks. And we collectively agreed to turn them down. Mm -hmm. That we actually like needed the sanity of just being with our families. That that it would represent like just a skewed priorities if we were together on that New Year's Eve and we weren't with our families. Right. Yeah. You're like enough is enough. We're good. It's a yeah. draw, draw yeah. line in the sand. Um, I want to. I've always wanted to ask this to musicians, and I've I've talked to a few friends about it who are musicians, but I always feel like. Like the road for a comedian and the road for free musician are somewhat similar, but also different in a lot of ways too. Because when it seems to me when you're a musician, the far easier road and quicker road would be to just do cover tunes. You know, like you get to your mm -hmm. local bar, that's what they want to pay because that's the songs people know, and they're going to get everybody dancing and and all those things. And it seems like it'd be it's a tougher stand and a bolder stand to go no. We write our own original stuff and then finding venues that are cool with that, you know, um, mm -hmm. as, whereas in comedy, I can't go up and pretend to be Louis C.K. for an hour. Right. People are like, OK, <laughs> you know what I mean? like no, you would get in big trouble. For I, doing that exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like just a, a no, no. But it seems like in the music scene, like that whole cover world is is quite often how people, you know, like whether they're hobbyists or folks that like actually make some really decent money, but they just play, you know, kind of a cover bar circuit either in downtown like Halifax or any kind of major city. And I wonder, do you recall those times when when you're like, no, we're we're an original band, we do originals. Like is it is it a little bit would you say now for for a musician right now is that a struggle for people to say, you know, no, I, I have my own stuff. I want to put it out there as opposed to, no, we want to hear brown-eyed brown girl 45 times. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I've, I've always found that really interesting. I think they're kind of two different worlds. I mean, a lot of people, I'll say this, a lot of people do both. You know, like, I know a lot of people who are killer musicians who have their own projects, who, kind of, who make a living doing covers. Um, we, you know, but there are, at least in Toronto, fortunately, there are enough venues here that are geared towards live original music um, that we never came up against anybody saying, okay, we want you to play, but, you know, you got to do Call Me by Blondie or anything like that. Right. But, you know, I, and um, but if you want to make a sustained living, like, again, we really didn't, even with songs on the radio, like, we really didn't make any money playing live and so i completely understand why at a certain point somebody's like well you know i i can make a living gigging five days a week and and doing cover songs i totally get that it's a grind also yeah but yeah. um at a certain point you know it's just you know for me now like i it's really nice just doing music for for fun but um the trying to make a living through through music is just so hard and i i have so much respect for people who do it yeah it's it's funny because uh when i have people come up and talk to me about wanting to start stand-up comedy and uh 
I actually have to check myself for a second because part of me wants to go, and this is what I say normally. I'm like, you know, you should really try. If you, you feel that voice is inside of you and you want to give it a shot, I would encourage anyone to do it. But there's another voice inside me that goes, it's going to kill you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Where you, right? just, you just know, like, you just know, like, I need to tell you this right now. Step aside. Talent is not enough. It's going to break your heart. It's going to crush you. Like, I think that's for, that's probably true for anyone who's involved in entertainment. Like, there's just so mm-hmm. many pitfalls and the level of perseverance and stubbornness and ability to just kind of pick yourself up off the dirt. Like, that's, that's got to be bottomless. Like, it's, it just, it's mm-hmm. just, that's a fact. I don't, no one wants to believe it. And it's not the shiny, attractive part of, of, of performing, but like, you know, and you learn that once you get into it for a while, like, oh my God, this is way tougher than I thought it was going to be. You know, you just thought you get up there and you deliver and uh, everything's great and you're rich. You can see someone on television. You're like, well, that person's clearly rich. They're on TV. And then you do it yourself. You're like, oh no, you're, you're, you're not at all. That was the worst contract ever. Uh, right. Do you have musicians who step up to you and go like, hey, I'd like to pick you, you know, like in, and part of you wants to be optimistic and encouraging, but the other part of you like, mm-hmm. you need to know the real deal. You know, have you had those moments? Um, probably, but not, I mean, you know what, I mean, I'm, I've been really officially out of the music business for long enough that I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm not really regarded as such. I get, I definitely get that in TV now, yeah. you know, like a lot of students are like, I want to go into broadcasting. What was your route? And, you know, what would you suggest? And, um, yeah, and I don't, I, I mean, yes, I feel the same. I don't want to, I don't want to be a total pessimist. But, you know, really, like, it's a dying, it's a totally dying industry, and it's a struggle, and, you know, Terrence Lowe's like, entertainment pep talk. Let me tell you something, kids. It's a dying industry. Everyone get yeah, out now. Like, <laughs> like, I don't, you know, but there's part of that that's true. My husband's a camera guy, and, I, like, we really noticed there's just, like, less, fewer and fewer gigs, and so... It's really hard. Most, a lot of our friends who used to be in TV are no longer in TV. It's just jobs are drying up and, you know, budgets are getting slashed. So, but, you know, if somebody feels really passionate, I think, I think if you're doing it for the right reasons, I don't, that sounds sort of moralistic, but no. doing it for, you know, there's one thing like, I want to be on TV. I want to look pretty and, and be praised by people. Okay. Well, you know what? You're probably, unless you're very, very lucky and very, very good, then maybe I doubt you'll stick it out anyway. Right. But if you have an insatiable curiosity about humanity and you are that driven to, to do this kind of work, then yeah, maybe you can really make a go of it. So I I definitely wouldn't be, I'd be realistic, but I, I wouldn't, you know, start the conversation with, kid it's a dying industry <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hear you it's uh you feel like you owe them a little bit of honesty but also yeah you don't want to squash that flame right out the gate it's like don't don't get into this you don't want to have it but it's uh i always like to be a little bit real with people in in, in terms of uh not letting them walk in blind into a into a situation but um i yeah. saw i saw another interview that you did too where you were talking a little bit about um kind of the you know your experiences as being a woman in the music industry and i and i was watching the video this interview that you did and i i remember thinking back to uh, to some of my female colleagues and stand up and some of the horror stories that they've they've told me over the years and i kind of you know you, my jaw would just drop going like oh my god i can't believe that 
you know, you'd have to deal with that in 2014 or 2015 or whatever. And it, it's like the set of challenges that were there for females, like uh, it's, it's really, really hard to relate to, you know, as a, as a man. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, can you speak to that a little bit just about when you think back about your time in music or in entertainment in general, it doesn't have to be music specifically, but is it, um, do you feel like things have improved? Do you feel like there's hope around the corner? Is it, is it, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, back in the time, like around the time that Joy Drop was putting out singles, um, believe it or not, we would, you know, hear from program directors across North America and they'd be like, oh, we're already playing one woman. So I don't think we can add another one right now. Wow. Or we're not really playing women. And it was at, at the time when <clears throat> the sort of big bands were Limp Biscuit and Corn and that kind of thing. Right. Um, so, I mean, it sounds weird, but in a way, we yeah, we had to really try to blaze our own trail. It sounds so ridiculous to me. I do think in, in rock things have changed somewhat. Like, I'm sh- sure if you listen to the, to rock radio now, um, both conventional and sort of satellite, like I hear, you know, it's pretty equal when, you, when you're listening to alternative music. Um, so I think that's definitely changed, but I absolutely was treated differently. And a lot of the, you know, sort of in the era of shock jock too. So we would encounter just a lot of jerk on the microphone. Right. 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 Like you just would rather, talk about how I looked rather than how I sounded. Yeah. It's, it's wild too, because I, like, I, I think quite often, especially in music and comedy, quite often there really isn't a set of, um, like industrial standards. Do you know what I mean? In terms of mm. like a HR department that you can go complain to. Right. It's kind of like, well, you had to pay your dues kid and you suck it up and smile right. and you move on to the next thing. And, and that also kicks back to our whole say yes to everything kind of thing where you just, Hey, keep quiet and just put up with it. Cause this is a big shop for us kind of thing. And, but when do you, you know, we have to draw a line in the sand and go like, no, just as a person, I'm not putting up with this shit. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. comedians, the same thing, you know, where it's kind of, uh, it could be coming from another comedian. It could be coming from a booker. It's like there are these horror stories of what females have had to go through. And I just, it's just, it blows my mind, especially in 2017. Like, I'm just like, I cannot believe that that's still, <laughs> mm-hmm. that still takes place, you know? Well, and you know, in, in, in TV, certainly in sports um, or in, in hockey, there aren't a ton of women, you know, so we don't have a lot of reporters or anchors um, in the hockey world who are women. So I'd love to see that change. Uh, I don't, I definitely like, I I don't feel it, you know, especially on, on my show. I just, it's a very feel good show and, and there's always a lot of respect. The, I never get treated uh, or talked down to by the alumni that we have on the program. So, and Ron certainly, um, is never unfair. So uh, I, I'm really, I think, lucky, you know, but I, I see it all around. You know, you, it's, let's face it, like, you cannot be a gray-haired woman on TV in the anchor chair, you know? Yeah. And there sure. are plenty of, like, aging, balding, gray-haired men. It's, it's a total double standard. Yeah, I think it's one of the interesting two, th- you know, when, 
in these kind of sensitive times right now where the world is, you know, we, we don't really know what's going to happen <laughs> from day to day. Uh, it's really weird when you think about blind spots for people and, and how much mm-hmm. people will, will look to, um, will look to defend it. Like I, I know people who have had a discussion, you know, talking about whether it's race or, or, uh, gender and they're like, well, I'm, I'm not that person. And it's like, Okay, but that's the very that's the very nature of a blind spot is that you don't you're not aware of it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I think it's it's almost so ingrained in people that it's not like it's a conscious effort on their part quite often to to have it. It's just it's just a thing that you have. It's kind of a thing you develop over generations. So it almost is like you have to press pause on your own life and step back and go, man, do I do I possess a blind spot that I wasn't aware of? Like it takes real um, right. real self awareness. You know what I mean? Well, and I certainly know that as, you know, as a Caucasian woman that I am certainly, I have it, you know, much easier than way, you know, a whole set of people. So, um, I, I don't take for granted my, my privilege in, in that department. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a whole different topic, like diversity on Canadian television in general is kind of, yeah pretty weak (laughs) i i would i would say yeah um so it's uh it's a slow road but uh, yeah yeah it's 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 and it's a big topic of conversation (laughs) yeah not at about we won't we won't solve it here today that's for sure um (laughs) so i I, it's funny like you know when you think about uh, entertainment um, you know, I just moved here from, it's so funny. I just moved here from Calgary to Halifax, which is your hometown. You were also living in Calgary. How long did you live there? We were in Calgary almost exactly five years, five years. Crazy. Yeah. And, uh, again, like this whole entertainment road, like it's insane to think of the twists and turns in it. Like, did you ever like that transition from music then to like, now I'm going to be, you know, on breakfast television, um, which I think, (laughs) which I think is what you were doing when we first met. I think I was opening for a comedian. Um, I think Rob Schneider or somebody at the laugh shop. Oh yeah. 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 I think we met there briefly. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's insane to me when I look back at my own life and my own career, like where you end up, like you cannot predict any of this stuff. It's almost like, one decision and then boom you go down this rabbit hole of all these different tunnels and it's it, but you have to learn to embrace it like did you how did the breakfast television thing come about for you well in 2000 okay so basically the route was you know we joy drop broke up in 2002 and that was it sucked it was a result of our record company went under we lost a record deal and, and just didn't have like the solidarity within the band to continue so trying to figure out what we i was going to do i started working on solo stuff and then in 2005 i did a show called rockstar in excess which Mm -hmm. was a reality singing competition show um and a maritime a scotian one jd fortune from picto county that's right yeah um and then i finally i put out a solo record in 2007 and i had you know, I was very, very proud of this album and I had a lot of high hopes and, and really nothing happened. And I just, I reached that point where I was like, okay, like screw this, man. I can't push anymore. I can't write better songs than this. You know, like it's not about me at this point. It's just about the business. And I, I just had lost my taste for it. Um, and so, but as a result, honestly, of, of Rockstar in Excess, some TV stuff had started coming my way. I was like 
I was the first Canadian kicked off. So Entertainment Tonight Canada was using me as sort of their, you know, almost their correspondent um, for the show. And I just kind of started landing some TV stuff. And when I kind of reached that realization that I just couldn't do the music business thing anymore, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to give this TV thing a try. I like it. I feel pretty natural. Um, and so I applied for a job at a small station in Toronto called Sun TV. And Sun TV was before Sun um, News Network. So it was like this little tiny station that I think Sun Media was just holding on to to figure out what they were going to do with it. And we had some Canadian content rules. So I actually ended up learning on the job. I wrote and produced and hosted an entertainment show in this teeny little uh, studio. And, and I learned just as I went. And then, you know, just one thing after another. My boss there got hired in Calgary, and then they were looking for a host, and I auditioned, and I got it. And it's just, insane. you know, you just kind of go for it sometimes. Yeah, it's insane because, uh, like, I try to explain, you know, when you're an entertainer, um, like most people's lives are, it's nine to five. Most days look pretty much the same. You know where you're going to be a year from now. Like it, it really is. I feel like uh, when you're in entertainment, it's almost like it's it's more of a mindset. I think than anything. It's like that ability to just be open to, um, you know, a phone call or an email can change your life. And it's come up time and time mm-hmm. again on the podcast of like, okay, well, just got an email. We don't live here anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not everybody. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I just, my kind of motto is, you know, if I will regret not having done something, I do it. You know, it's like, it was the same, like with Rockstar and Excess, I had a lot of reservations about doing that show. Um, But I thought, you know, if I don't do it, am I going to regret saying no? And the answer was yes. And it wasn't easy for me to do it. it. It was a very challenging experience, but I'm glad I did it. Right. And so... That was the, you know, the TV path was like jumping into one thing and just kind of seeing where it went. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where doors doors open. It's like I, I always say to people too, like you're going to walk in, entertainment to me is like you walk into a room and you think, okay, well, when you first start especially, well, this is the room I'm supposed to be in. And then you realize this this room has 15 other doors. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I wonder what's behind that door over there. And you just keep going into <laughs> rooms and opening doors. And some doors are locked and you'll either come back to that door at another point or you just go to a different door. And it it never, ever ends, it seems. Like it's always, it is that mentality of next, next, next. And then you find something that you're really comfortable with. And I think you're right, age does play a role sometimes too. Where you go, okay, I'd like something a little bit more stable too and a little bit more settled. And, uh, uh-huh. and those things work in your favor too, hopefully. But I'm always amazed at where, you know, someone would say, well, you're going to be here in 10 years or 15 years. You would tell them that there's no way you know what you're talking about. You know, like if you'd figured yeah. out that you're, you're in a band and now you're going to be all right. You're going to live in Calgary for five years. Now, guess what? You're back in Toronto. You're doing this show that doesn't exist yet, by the way. Like, it's insane. <laughs> right? What do you think about all that? Um, yeah, I feel, I mean, I honestly, I feel really lucky. You know, I mean, I, you know, I know I've taken some chances and, but I've, I've been given a lot of opportunity too. I mean, I've worked very, very hard, but I have, you know, there's been a lot presented to me. So I feel, I feel really grateful. 
<laughs> no, for sure. It's funny you mentioned that too. I uh, earlier this year I uh, started a gratitude practice where I literally like would uh, like mm. I start every day with like try to do ten minutes of meditation or whatever, just breathing type Good, stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I really enjoy, I just started this year and I love it. And I notice a difference when I don't do it. So that's when I'm like, all right, you need to go. You need to go have some quiet time for yourself. But uh, also in addition to that, I started this gratitude practice of writing down like three things every day that I'm grateful for, like from big to small mm. or whatever. But it's amazing what that rewiring has done for my mind where I, f I feel like, you know, you look at the news every day and you see all these tragedies and things. And I just, I just look at my own life and I go, man, like how lucky am I to just, I mean, from the small things to being able to get out of bed in the morning, to being able to mm -hmm. see, you know, like, and it sounds kind of corny, but I'm like, it's amazing how you kind of then look through the day with that lens all day. Like, um, how long, have you, how long have you been meditating by the way? Well, the reason my family ended up in Nova Scotia um, was because they followed their Buddhist teacher there. Really? So, yeah, believe it or not. So yeah. I'm sort of, I'm a second generation Buddhist practitioner. Awesome. Um, yeah. So there was a, a Tibetan guru named Shigem Trungpa Rinpoche. <laughs> okay. And he, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Um, well, sure just ask your, uh, <laughs> ask Kathy Jones. She knows all about it. Okay, cool. Uh, she does. Um who came, who, who basically was exiled from Tibet, ended up in India, and then ended up in Great Britain, and ultimately came to the United States in the 60s. And then it just, it almost seemed random, but he sort of had this thought, this idea that um, this place where kind of enlightened society could be created just was Nova Scotia. And many, his students were all, he was based out of Boulder, Colorado, and his students followed him. He, came, he went to Halifax, of all places, Wow! and this was in the 80s, and so that's how my family ended up in Nova Scotia. So there's actually a very large Buddhist population in, in Halifax. I did not know um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, when I was a kid, I would meditate grudgingly, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I try to integrate it into my life. I mean, it's, you know, it's a challenge. Even 10 minutes a day is a challenge, but it's it really does, it can change the lens through which you see the world. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been amazing for me because I've, you know, I've heard about it obviously for decades and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know what that is. You know, you kind of, if you don't grow up with it, you see it as a real outside type, you know, um, a practice or whatever, but just doing it and, and I have this Headspace app on my phone or whatever, so that's kind of what I use. And uh, Oh, yeah, I've heard that's really good. Yeah, it is really good, and they have a bunch of different ones that you can do depending on what you feel you need in the moment or whatever. And uh, But just that ability to shut your mind off, like to literally not really have a thought for a little bit is a pretty mm -hmm. cool recharge and a bit of a rest. And I feel like um, – I know Jerry Seinfeld is a big transcendental meditation person, and uh, – mm. And just that ability to just give your mind a rest, because I think especially for people who are in entertainment, especially because there is not quite often that stability that other people would have in this nine to five kind of, you know, it's automatic. This is what we do every day. Our lives can be very, very different. So I almost feel like it's almost it's almost more beneficial for people who have who have a life in entertainment, you know, just ability to kind of just breathe, be in that moment and enjoy it. And I have become more grateful. Like I've, I've definitely noticed mm -hmm. that overall. Good. You know what? And I'm telling you, like, I am not getting any less neurotic as I get older. So it's almost, <laughs> it's like just more, I'm not like, I'm, you know, I have more anxiety and I'm more high strung and I'm more hormonal. And I'm like, so it's, it's increasingly important and the world is insane. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, it's, 
I think it's just, it's really, I'm glad that the sort of mindfulness movement is really starting to take off because I think we could all just use a little bit of space. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It's uh it's just ability to kind of hit pause a little bit and, and kind of process what's going on. And, uh, I, uh, it's funny cause I've, I've got a, a friend of mine who's a little bit older than me and I mentioned this thing and his look on his face was like, yeah, okay, right. And, uh, like kind of just shrugged it off. And then literally, you know, a year later he was like, ah, I gave that a try. I actually kind of enjoy it. So it's one of those things too, that becomes a word of mouth type movement, you know, too, where it's, uh, yeah. okay. You don't seem crazy. Uh, I'll give that a try. All right. That, uh, <laughs> didn't seem to screw you up too much. So, so I think there's a bit of that too, just that, uh, that whole trust element, you know, so. Um, I always want to ask this question too, to someone who's, who's been the front of a band, like you, you got to go out there and like, you're the face of this band, you're moving it. You're the voice of this band. Are there days where you just showed up and you're like, you know what? I'm not, uh, I'm not feeling it. And you've got to go out there anyway <laughs> and just find that energy within yourself. Comedians will have that where they go, man, this is not, this crowd better carry me tonight. Cause I, uh, I am not, <laughs> I did not get much sleep. I'm not feeling it. And uh, did you did you have those moments as a lead singer, or is there a different pressure? I should say, as as a lead singer, to kind of like you know you have obviously vocal concerns and all those things, but like that mindset of a lead singer, what how would you describe that? Um, yeah, you, I mean, I guess you do have different pressures as sort of a, a front person, and you know, to kind of talk to the crowd and and sort of you know get the crowd going. Absolutely, you know, it's just your like everybody, right? Your moods change, differ. I really found it challenging just endurance wise in the early days when we were traveling in a van. Um, I was just so tired, you know, and I wasn't helping myself by drinking like a liter of wine every night too. (laughs) That's right. Um, right. I don't think I really realized at the time, like that's also really impacting my headspace, but, (laughs) um, you know, I, I think at least with music, uh, the music it was, wasn't hard to get there once the music started, you know, like, right. I mean, some for sure, everybody has those gigs where they just, honestly, you're just phoning it in a little bit, but, um, you know, I really loved our, I loved our songs and, and I love singing where it got really challenging is sometimes we play, you know, play a gig where there was, there were technical issues or I really couldn't hear. And, um, that's hard. That's yeah. hard when you're like, you know, you're just kind of everything seems to be conspiring against you, and you just—that's really hard to be. You know, this big front person when you can't even be sure you're hitting the right note. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine too. And you guys also would imagine would do like these these early morning radio spots, you know, where you have to go in and like. I've always been amazed. They're like, yeah, it's it's six thirty a.m. here on the uh, bear, and they're like, you know, and you got to go in. Like, we've got a joy, joy drop here. They're going to sing a little something for us. I'm like, you literally have not spoken yet today, and now someone expects you to sing <laughs> sing like a bird in a radio station that's the size of a closet. You, you... Well, then that was the irony when I hosted a morning show in Calgary for five years. I was like, this is just <laughs> that I could never have predicted. <laughs> never that's, that's right you're like we know you hate this but you're gonna do it anyway please give it oh. up for you know yeah totally <laughs> what were your uh what were your memories of your time in calgary like it's uh i you know was a newfoundlander uh you know so many uh, there's so many newfoundlanders in alberta but when mm-hmm. i you know living there for 14 years like i i instantly fell in love with the place for me like it just was i think sometimes you need to move to find 
a certain community or a certain group of people. So that's why I started stand-up, was in Calgary itself. There weren't any comedy mm. clubs or anything in Newfoundland at the time. So when I left, I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. So I kind of almost feel like there's a little bit of reinvention for me there. Like, you know, where I found right. a new phase of myself and, and a career. Um, when you think about Calgary, what are your what are your memories of that place? You know, Calgary was a, a bit of a surprise for me. My my husband's from uh, St. Albert, Alberta. So what? he's from just, just Edmonton. near Edmonton. Yeah. Um, and, and he had actually gone to Mount Royal. So he was really familiar with Calgary. But when when we moved there, when I got this job, I really didn't, didn't know Calgary at all. I, I knew, like, my boss and my brother was actually going to the University of Calgary. So we uh, had him. Okay. Um, but it was just, it was a really strange time because I had a one-year-old child um, and I was starting, you know, on a morning show. So I went from not working for a year to, you know, being, having to be in at 4 a.m. to do a morning show. So it was a very strange transition for me. Um, and I was hosting a morning show that's very local about right. a place that I knew nothing about. So right, right. it was... I would say honestly that the transition for me was very challenging because I really, I had to learn on the job. I had to learn about Calgary. I had to try to, you know, figure out where the Deerfoot was. Like I'd look at traffic shots. I remember going like, I have no idea where that is, <laughs> but I didn't know. I didn't know the city at all, you know? Right. Um, so, and it's also, it's a little bit challenging to have a social life when you're, when you have a one-year-old and you're having, you know, having to get up at 3 a.m. So I, I felt like it was a little bit slow, but, you know, here's where the fantastic surprise came in, is that the audiences really embraced me and made me feel very welcome. Um, and I made incredible friends there. And so it was a terrific surprise. You know, I, I really... I fell in love with the mountains, of course. Of course. Who, who doesn't? I even kind of fell in love with the quirky weather. That <laughs> makes no sense. Um, but I, I mean, mostly I just, I fell in love with, with people. And that was, you know, when we left, I knew I needed to be back sort of at the hub, you know, in order to further my career. Yep. But, you know, being Toronto, but I, I really was with great sadness that I left a lot of friends behind. Yeah, it's uh, it speaks further to to transition. You know, when you first through, go through a transition, it's just so new, and like that ability to kind of push through those moments of awkwardness. It's amazing, like what a couple of months does or what a year does. You know, when you go to somewhere mm -hmm. where you're kind of out of your comfort zone, whether that's career wise or personal or whatever it is. And I'm always amazed by by people when you talk to them first and then you talk to them a year later and their, their experience is completely different, right? Cause they, mm -hmm. they've just adjusted or they found the beauty in the place that they're in. And, and a lot of times that's mindset too. I think where you're just kind of like, if you're looking for what you just left, it's not this, do you know what I mean? No, it's, exactly. It's like people who travel uh, to another country and go, well, they don't do it the way they do it back home. It's like, yeah, it's cause it's another country. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. No, I was, uh, I feel like, and it, it really, there is no better training than doing three and a half hours of live TV every day. True. You know, I'm so grateful that I got to do that because you're just, after that, you're kind of prepared for anything. No, true. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide in that moment. And, uh, I did some remotes one week filling in for Jill Bellin for breakfast television. And it, I was... actually remember seeing you because 
I think it was at the time when I was starting to watch the show because I think I was up for the job. Yeah, I was like, I didn't know what was going on. There's an earpiece in my ear. <laughs> They're like, throwback to uh, Andrew for weather. I'm like, uh, I got a guy on a dirt bike here next to me. Okay, I can barely hear anything <laughs> you're saying. It was insane. And like that internal clock of knowing what 15 seconds is, what 10 seconds right. is. Do you know what I mean? Like all those things. So I had a new appreciation for the folks who do it and do it seamlessly. I'm like, that is a talent and a skill. Like, did that, yeah. did you, did you find that for yourself of going like, my, like you feel out of your depth, right? At first, you're just like, this is what's happening. Oh, completely, yeah. completely. Like I'm, I would not like to see my first year of shows, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I, it's just terrible. <laughs> and, but yeah, but you, it's just, you do it day in, day out, and, and you're, you're bound to get better, I think. so. Yeah, for sure. I, th I think a lot of it, too, and not just in entertainment, I think, but in life in general, like, you have to be willing to fail. Like, if you're not willing to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, like, I think a lot <laughs> of people walk around looking for the fast track to have success immediately. And I think once you embrace that notion of, uh, yeah, failure is just part of it, and it's not, it's not, it's not devastating. You know what I mean? Like, people say that to me as a comedian, like, oh, I don't know how what I do if – I had a, you know, I went up on stage and someone didn't laugh. And I was like, you just move on to the next thing. It's not, but once you do it over time, it becomes muscle memory and you just get comfortable with that feeling. But I think mm -hmm. just the ability to accept the possibility of failure is, uh, is a pretty um, monumental <laughs> moment in life, you know? Oh, it's, yeah, it's not easy. And it, it felt very, I remember just feeling very vulnerable, you know? Um, and, I think morning shows are hard because people really get attached to their hosts. You know, they wake up with them, they see them every day. And yeah. um, so, you know, there was some like pushback when I got there and I was from Toronto and, right. um, you know, I felt very vulnerable, but it didn't, it really didn't take long for, you know, there was a lot of kindness and for, forgiving <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, I know you're a busy person, so I'm going to let you go, but I need some advice as I'm now a new resident of Halifax. Where should yeah. uh, where should a guy be eating in this place? Where should a guy go to get some good mm -hmm. eats? What 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 can you recommend? Um, oh gosh. You know what? There are a couple of places that I haven't been um that I meant to go to and I can't even remember the names, but I can tell you uh Everybody goes to the Stubborn Goat quite a lot, and I think it never disappoints. It's like a great watering hole with a massive menu. Nice. Um, Edna is, like, divine if you want, like, a really nice kind of nice meal. But there are, there are a couple, like, pretty new restaurants there that I think are really, really good. Okay. I'm sure it won't be hard to learn about them because Halifax isn't very big. Nope. Um, the Agricola Street... What's it called? The Griffith Street Diner and Bistro or something? Nice. <laughs> I'm going to be. Am I on the air? Am I on the air? Because I'm like, I'm disappointing Halidonians <laughs> all over the place. No, you know, it's like people ask me sometimes too, and I'm like, I don't, I don't even know if I knew the city of Calgary when I, I'm like, I, there's so many, well, I went to this place once and I can't remember the name, and I'm the worst, you know, person who's, uh, who's going to be talking about Calgary tourism and restaurants, but I've, I've found a few uh, local haunts that I love a lot. So yeah, I'm excited to check out the city. So, uh, Oh yeah. You'll, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you'll hit all of them. There's also a place called the highwayman on Barrington street, which has really good cocktails and a nice sort of tapas menu. Nice. I know. Um, oh no. And honestly, like, I guess, I guess Kathy doesn't really advertise it, but Kathy 
is a very longtime student of Buddhism. Nice. Yeah, I think she has mentioned, I did a few stints there writing, and uh, I think she did mention it in passing a couple times, like with, with her mm-hmm. reference to what she was speaking about. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure we'll get into a discussion about that for sure at some point. Yeah, and give her my regards if you remember. I will. I will. Um, well, best of luck uh, with hometown Thank hockey you. this season and uh, safe travels as you jet all the way across from coast to coast over this fabulous country and uh thanks a lot for your time today i really appreciate it oh thank you trent good luck to you thanks so much we'll talk soon okay bye bye that's how it all started like a whisper in your ear you told them you loved them and ran as fast as you could it's not to be taken lightly Then you never were Your fingers bleeding, your body aches From the thunder in your heart So you laid on the line Blindfolded and chalk-marked Like a good little soldier knew just what you were Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line Blindfolded and chalk-marked Like a good little soldier Knew just what you were Can you?